That's right. Open your Bible to Matthew 14. Good job, Justice. And Justice wants to tell you it's on page 820 if you're using one of the blue chair Bibles like he is right now. So good job, buddy. To prepare our minds and our hearts for the text, that's right, I'm going to talk about Judges again. My favorite whipping boy, Gideon. One of the things that Gideon shows us is that smallness shows the power of God. And we see that in, one, again, another commonly misunderstood part of Gideon. So in Judges chapter 7, Gideon gathers an army. And he starts with 32,000 people. And God says to him, send everyone who's afraid home. And 22,000 leave, leaving 10,000 if you're following along with your math. And God says, that's still too many people. So God tells them to go get a drink of water. And tells Gideon that he is going to further divide the people into the army that he will give to Gideon. So a couple of the guys, many of them, lap up the water like a dog from the stream, while others put water in their hands to drink. And God tells Gideon, you get the guys who drank water out of their hands, and that's 300 people. Now, much ink has been spilt on why God gave him the guys that drink from their hands. And a lot of that ink focuses on God's tactical reasoning. You see, these guys, they were smarter than the others, than the other 9,000. They were ready. And better to have 300 ready people than 9,700 who treat themselves like dogs, lapping up water. See, God knew it was better to have a tiny amount of really good soldiers than a large amount of not-so-good soldiers. See, God was smart. Good job, God. Here's the problem with that. That's not what God said. God, at the beginning of chapter 7, told Gideon why he made the army small. This is from Judges chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. See, God said, If I let you take too many people into battle, you guys are just going to take credit for it. And you need to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'm the one that saved you. The reason that God shrinks Gideon's army to 300 is not to identify the best fighters, but to make it crystal clear that any victory is from the Lord, not the people. The smallness of the army clearly demonstrates that God is at work 
and that God deserves the credit for any victory. Smallness shows the work of God. And it's that idea that I want to use as a lens to talk about our passage today. Today we're going to be looking at a pretty uh, common story that many of you probably know, the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, a little tidbit of knowledge here, it is one of the very few stories repeated in all four Gospels. But as we know, a small amount of food to feed a whole lot of people, I want you to see that the smallness of the food is used to demonstrate that this feeding must be the act of a compassionate and generous God. So let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verses 13 and 14. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. This section begins, now when Jesus heard this, and this refers back to the beginning of chapter 14, where Matthew tells us that Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and that's where Herod compared Jesus to John the Baptist being raised from the dead, which we saw a couple weeks ago. But hearing this, that Herod heard about him, Jesus withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But as one author writes about this, it is not possible for Jesus to escape the crowds even when it is possible for him to leave a place. So as he sails away on a boat, when the crowds hear it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Now, the Bible, in a variety of ways, makes it really clear that the motivations of the crowd were as many as there were people. Some people were truly interested in whether or not Jesus was the promised Savior. Some people were just looking to see a healing or find some miraculous food. John tells us that in his account. I always think of the small kid from the cartoon Incredibles where Mr. Incredible asks him, what are you waiting for? And the kid responds, I don't know, something amazing, I guess. But something I think we often overlook is is an undercurrent of the Gospels, is that people wanted to be around Jesus in large part because they knew he cared about them. Look at verse 14. When Jesus gets off the boat, Matthew writes, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Mark's account gives us a little more detail. It's one of my favorite lines in Mark's account of the feeding of the 5,000. It says this, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I want to highlight this because it tells us about who Jesus is, but also what kind of people we should be if we are followers of Jesus. 
Jesus looks out at the crowd and has compassion on them. And while Mark's account focuses on Jesus showing his compassion for them by teaching, Matthew focuses on Jesus healing their sick. And while it's safe to assume that Jesus did both, Matthew specifically names healing as an expression of Jesus' compassion for the crowds. A couple things to note with this. First of all, know that when Jesus looks at you, he has compassion for you. Some of you perhaps grew up with a view of Jesus as waiting for you to make a mistake so he could smite you with lightning. Your picture of Jesus was more like the legalistic Pharisees than the true Jesus. And while it is true that one day all of us will have to stand before Jesus as the ultimate judge of the universe, if that's your only view of Jesus, you are missing so much. When Jesus looks at you, he is filled with compassion. Secondly, Jesus expresses his compassion in healing the illnesses of the people. When Jesus cares about you, it includes your body and your health. Now, while we cannot ask Jesus in person for healing like those people did, it's entirely appropriate to ask Jesus for healing today. It's right and good for us to cry out to God for healing in our bodies. And while it's true that Jesus does not promise healing every time, that should not stop us from praying for healing. In fact, it should compel us to pray because he is the compassionate God who cares for you. But also, the compassion of Jesus also speaks to how we should live. So thirdly, do you have the same compassion for the crowds of this world that Jesus does? When you look out into the world, do you view the people of this world with fear, anger, indifference, or compassion? One of the most basic parts of our faith is that we're called to follow our Savior living the way that he lived. And there's something to be said for the fact that undeniably one of the reasons people ran after Jesus' boat was the compassion that he showed others. I mean, we have to ask ourselves the tough questions. Do unbelievers want nothing to do with us because we do not have the same compassion for them that Jesus did? And yes, it is true that we can be rejected even when we are compassionate. But it is also true that we must look out into our world with eyes of compassion, not simply fear, anger, or indifference. Fourthly, in speaking of Jesus' compassion, how can we follow our Savior in the pattern of healing he did in this story? Like I said previously, Jesus cared about people's physical needs and their bodies. And we need to show our compassion in caring for the physical needs of others. But how do we do that? Well, you can begin by praying for healing. 
This is something I've learned and been reminded of from many of the missionaries that we support and know. Few people will reject you if you offer to include them in your prayers for healing. Yes, there is the exceptional person who's just extra angry that day. But nine times out of ten, if you ask someone, can I pray for you for healing, they're not going to say no. There's also a long church history tradition of Christians being in the helping professions or services. Think of the many Christian doctors and nurses or the long tradition of Christian foster care and adoption. One of our local examples, I'm thankful for all of you in our community here that go serve up at Garage of Blessing in Oak Harbor and serve that community in that way. We show our compassion for the crowds of this world in helping with people's needs just like Jesus. Would one of your prayers be, God, where can I show compassion to the people in my life? Where can I serve the needs of others in my church and in my community? So with setting that as, as setting the table for the action of the story and the compassion that Jesus has for the crowd, let's look at the elephant in the room, the big problem these people are going to get hungry. Let's look at verses 15 and 17. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here, and two fish. So Jesus preached and healed for the whole day, but when it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus with a problem. Matthew records, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and buy food for themselves. Shockingly, Jesus does not respond with, good idea. Okay, everybody, let's stand up. Let's go to the villages. Rather, he responds with, they need not go away, you give them something to eat. Now, as we'll see in a little bit, Matthew records that there were 5,000 men present. It's entirely likely that the grand total with women and children and men, that the grand total was fifteen to 20,000. I want you to feel the weight of that command on the disciples. Sometimes, you know, we read these stories we've read so many times, we just go, you know, oh yes, you give them something to eat because we know a miracle's coming, right? But just feel the weight of Jesus saying to the disciples, feed these 20,000 people. Now, Matthew does not record any more details of the conversation. We can find some other details in the other accounts, like Jesus encouraging the disciples in Mark's account, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And in Matthew's account, we see in verse 17 that they report, we have only five loaves here and two fish. I want you to think of this 
like a brown paper bag lunch. John's account tells us that they are from a kid and that they were barley loaves, which in that culture were the cheaper version of bread at that time. Now, to their credit, even though they know that is not even close to enough food, they do bring the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus. But as I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but think that the disciples' role in this part of the miracle is completely unnecessary. Sure, they're going to help out later by serving the food and organizing the people, but it's pretty clear that Jesus is doing all the work. It's not as if they got the right amount of bread and fish so that Jesus could cut such thin slices so as to make enough for everybody. It's also clear that Jesus is not a replicator in that he needs bread and fish to make more bread and fish. Again, we need to step back and say, Jesus could have done this without anything. He didn't need like a starter pack of bread and fish. I want you to see it through this lens. That Jesus is inviting his disciples into his work, even though ultimately he is the one working. And I think that's important because it's a picture of God in his grace using us to minister to this world. God in his mercy chooses to use us as his hands and feet and voices in this world. He accomplishes his work through the service we give to others. He accomplishes his work through us being his preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ. But we work because God is at work. Made me think of Philippians chapter 2. Let me read you verses 12 to 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Any effort we make is an expression of God being at work. I think it's okay to think of yourselves like the disciples and that boy with the lunch. You offer what you have because Jesus is at work in his world. See, Jesus doesn't need us but he chooses to use us to accomplish his work in this world. And in one sense, it was a great act of faith to bring such a small amount of food to Jesus. There was a certain level of confidence that Jesus could do something with this. And most of the time, because we're all pretty normal, we feel like we're offering five loaves and two fish to Jesus. 
I don't know what you're going to do with this, but here you go. But honestly, that's one of the joys of being a Christian is that God uses normal people. Sometimes we feel like a couple of fish and cheap bread, but when we do God's work in God's world, God miraculously uses that effort for his glory. To use the language from 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So let's look at that miracle now, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children." So Jesus has the disciples bring him the small amount of food, and he had the crowd sit down. And Matthew records that taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And then he started breaking up the food and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave it to the crowd. Now again, the familiarity is almost unhelpful to us here. I want us to pause and imagine being one of the disciples running back and forth from Jesus to another group of people. Even if they had help, even if they grabbed some people from the crowd, think of the great effort the disciples had to give to serve all these people. While the description is short, it's not as if this took five minutes. I think it gives us a concrete picture That while it is a joy to serve with Jesus, it doesn't mean it's always easy. But every effort in serving in the name of Jesus is worth it, even when it's hard. Even when Jesus is working. Again, this picture of the disciples, think of them like those guys in stadiums that are carrying the peanuts down the aisles. hard work. But even when it's hard, it's a joy because Jesus is at work. I also want you to picture the amazement of the disciples growing and growing as they keep not running out of food. Every time they go back, they were probably surprised. (laughs) Oh, there's more. And Matthew records, and they all ate and were satisfied. Now, I want to go back to that idea I began with this morning. The small portion of food shows that God is at work. Jesus did not have miraculous knife skills. The small portion of food feeding that many people was evidence that it was truly a miracle. But the miracle doesn't even end there. After everyone had eaten and everyone was satisfied, 
the disciples took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Again, when we slow down with such a familiar passage, the fact that there were any leftovers was a miracle. The fact that baskets were filled is amazing. But it's also a display of God's generosity. Jesus knew the exact amount of bread and fish that was needed. Jesus made leftovers on purpose. He did it to show the generosity of God, the abundant blessing of God. And there's another layer added on to that. When we see that the amount of baskets that were filled was 12. Now, not only does the number of baskets match the number of disciples, right? So none of the disciples tried to get out of leftover duty. Like, ah, oh, my back, I gotta, I can't carry another basket. But I think there's an intentionality there because oftentimes the number 12 can be symbolic of God's people. So in the Old Testament, we have the 12 tribes of Israel. In the New Testament, there are 12 apostles, they themselves pointing back to the 12 tribes. But they represent the New Testament people of God. And when we put all of this together, we should see that God is generous in providing for the needs of his people. And that God doesn't just give us enough He blesses us with more than enough. God is so generous with his people. And that's pictured in those 12 baskets of leftovers. But God's generosity is not limited to our physical needs. Again, I couldn't help but think of Romans chapter 8, which says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul connects the generosity of God in providing for our needs with the generosity of providing his son for our salvation. Now in John's account of the feeding of the 5,000, he goes into what's called the bread of life discourse, which you can read later. That's found in John 6 beginning verse 22. And where Jesus connects the giving of bread to the giving of his life. That just as in making bread, the wheat must die so that we can eat it and live. In the same way, Jesus died so that we might live. The provision of bread is a picture of God providing for our salvation and the hope of eternal life through his Son. God is so generous with us, not only does he provide for all our physical needs, he has supplied our greatest need, salvation through his Son, Jesus. 
Now let me end this part of the passage with a similar argument that I made at the beginning of the passage. If God treats people with compassion, we must treat people with compassion. And in this section, if God is generous with us, then we must be generous with others. You know, the more I experience life, the more I find that the people whose faith I respect are often the most generous. And when I say generous, this is not limited to money, though that can be something. The people whose faith I respect are the people who are generous with what they have. That includes their money and their stuff. It includes their time. It includes their energy. God has been generous to his people. Therefore, God's people should be generous to others, serving others and providing for their needs. And in the same way, I asked you to consider who is God calling you to show compassion to? There's another natural question of, in response to God's generosity for you, to you, to whom is God calling you to be generous? Who will you show generosity to in your life? A couple thoughts as we close up this morning. Number one, we see in full display here God's compassion. Jesus looked out to the crowd with compassion. And when Jesus looks at you, he looks at you with eyes of compassion. And in the same way, we are to look at the people around us with compassion. We need to look at our family members with compassion, our fellow church members with compassion, our neighbors and the people of our community with compassion. Secondly, we work because God is at work. The tiny amount of food feeding so many people demonstrates clearly that this was a miracle of God. And Jesus, in his grace, invited his disciples into partnership with the miracle that he was doing. And we work, even when God calls us to something that is difficult, like passing out food to 20,000 people. We work because God is at work and it is always worth it. We work hard to serve others because our God is at work. Thirdly, we see on display God's generosity. Jesus was not just good at slicing bread. Jesus miraculously provided for everyone to be satisfied and have leftovers. God is so generous with us. God will provide for you abundantly. And God generously provided for your ultimate need, a Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ. God was so generous, He sent His only Son to die and rise again so that all who repent of their sins and place their faith in Him will be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and have the hope of eternal life. And in response to that great generosity, we must be generous people. I would love it if our church and its members were known for their generosity. Generosity in serving others, ministering to each other, and our community. 
that we would live our lives out in God's world, showing the generosity that God has shown us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We thank you for this miracle that demonstrates your compassion and that your generosity. And that we would joyfully accept your invitation to join you in your work, to be your willing hands and feet in this world, to work because ultimately you are at work. And God, we thank you for your generosity in sending your Son to be our Savior. That you were so generous you did not spare your only Son to die and rise again so that we could be saved. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.